Welcome to the Aquas Podcast, conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Equest podcast with me, Danny Lawler. If you're new to the Equest podcast, do hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast su- uh, supplier, even, uh, so that you're kept up to date as and when new podcasts drop from Equest. If you haven't already done so, do make sure you register for the Funds Ireland Minicon, which is coming up in the first week of November. Uh, tons of content there, and obviously, as we record this podcast, the Central Bank's GRCO letter to conclude the CP86 thematic review has just dropped, and uh, we will have, I'm sure, plenty to, to chat about at Funds Ireland Minicon, try and unpick that and decide where that's going to take us into the future. So, free to attend Funds Ireland Minicon, we're going to have uh, an attendee there from Central Bank of Ireland, James O'Sullivan, who is the head of the funds policy team at Central Bank, is going to come along to one of the sessions at Funds Ireland Minicon. You can log in, you can hit him with your questions, and uh, let's see what James has to say. So looking forward to very much myself. There's a free goodie bag, free digital goodie bag for everybody who registers and attends, and it's all free to do so as well. So ch- check out fundsarlaminicon.com, hit the RSVP button, and you're in. Now for today's podcast, I'm really, really delighted to be joined by Manel Amin. And Manel is the head and founder of a firm called Diligence Vault. And Diligence Vault is a reg tech solution that helps firms manage due diligence. And that's both in terms of, for example, investors who are doing due diligence on funds and then their directors and mancos, or mancos, for example, where they're doing due diligence across their delegates, like a range of investment managers, and also across their distribution network as well. So given that due diligence, just mentioned that the Central Bank's DRCO letter dropped a couple of days ago. In that, it talks about managers needing to do more in terms of due diligence or making an appointment and then annually thereafter. Of course, if you've got a lot of investment managers or a lot of other delegates that you're trying to oversee, that can become a mountain of work. So I thought it was really interesting to talk to Manel and understand some of the themes that people are spending a lot of time doing due diligence on, but also how firms are managing that whole process, giving the increased amount of requests, the increased depth of those requests and the potential to get absolutely swamped in paperwork and spreadsheets trying to keep on top of responding to due diligence questionnaires. Manel has some great insights. So uh, well worth a listen. Uh, and with that, I'm going to shut up and get out of the show. Hello, Manel. Great to have you on the Quest podcast. Delighted to have you along. Thanks, Daniel. I look forward to being on the podcast and thanks for having me. Well, you're based in New York. How are things over there with you guys? You're in the midst of COVID. You have an election in a couple of weeks at this stage. What's the, the mood on the ground? I think it's op- optimistic, given the beginning of the, of the lockdown was far more severe for New York overall. Uh, but I think people are getting used to it and they're optimistic and looking forward to um, what's, what's about to happen just with the election, but also um, hoping that, yes, we are waiting for a second wave, but we may not even get it. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I know we're, we've just started a second lockdown over here. But I guess having been through, through it before, this one doesn't feel as severe or as much of a shock. It's more of a drain and, you know, because you feel like you're back where you were. But actually in practice, it's not as huge a difference as the original time. The schools are still open. It's, it's amazing how, how people adapt 
so quickly. I think April was a big shock for all of us, uh, but now it's almost business as usual. A little bit about yourself, Manal. Like you're, uh, you're the CEO and founder of Diligence Vault, uh, which is a tech firm. Are you, are you tech whiz? I see you're uh, an electrical engineering in your background. Are you, you computer whiz? That's right. So I'm electrical engineering, and which in the traditional sense is motors and high voltage and power systems. But yes, I did have some engineering background. Um, I have learned pretty much how to code uh, aspects of computer science um, and how to become a developer on the job. Um, and then I pivoted to more of a finance sector after business school. Um, and I think the combination of both the experiences having worked in the financial services and more specifically in the asset management segment and having the technology background has definitely helped me uh, quite a bit in, in laying the foundation of Diligence Vault and uh, moving from, say, idea to a product. Uh, so that was quite instrumental, having the combination of both. Because one gives you the skills to create the product, the second gives you the business knowledge of understanding why the product is needed. And that has been, uh, I've been quite fortunate to have both. Yeah, yeah, certainly two hyper-relevant skill sets in today's world. And I guess the reason why I was especially interested to chat to you and, and get you on the podcast was um, the, the work that you do around due diligence and the, the insights that you have on, for example, the levels of due diligence required today. Because we really see um, here in, in the Irish funds industry, for example, you really see uh, a focus now on, on an increased amount of due diligence on two sides, I guess, as we'd see it. One is where an investor is coming into a fund. They really are um, asking a lot of the fund and increasingly the fund directors and the fund providers like the fund management company. And when they go through a due diligence process, it's not a, a one-pager. It tends to be a pretty chunky questionnaire that you're, you're asked for. And then the other side, and we saw this just yesterday, uh, the central bank, our, our regulator here, published some additional guidance. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, they're looking for in this instance, fund management companies, but, you know, financial services firms where they are delegating to really be very, very thorough in how they do an assessment before they appoint somebody. And then on an ongoing basis that annually, at least doing due diligence on their delegates. So I said, this, this kind of falls into the world in which you, uh, which you operate, Milan. I'm very interested to, from your perspective, and I guess the States tends to be a little bit ahead of us uh, in terms of developments. What do you seen around the use of diligence, the extent to the depth that the due diligence goes into, the response of the firms when they receive a due diligence request. What's the due diligence world like, Monal? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, I think the reason we exist is we, we found this um, pain point that the industry as a whole experiences in, in, in some of the use cases that you've mentioned, which is between investors and asset managers, asset managers, and the distributors or the management companies and the delegates. Um, anytime I think there are two parties involved and there is a transaction, there has to be some sort of a diligence pre-transaction as well as ongoing monitoring. Um, and laying out a monitoring and a governance framework is critical in any of these relationships. Uh, but what comes with that is a lot of information exchange. Uh, you pointed out GDQs and questionnaires. That is one big part of it. But then on top of it, once you do get the information, if you are the requesting party, 
what do you do with that information? How do you build a risk framework around it? And how do you report on it? Um, as well as if you are the provider of the information, how do you collate all of that information internally? Because presumably one person in the firm doesn't have all that information. And when you are the provider and you are getting a lot of requests from different requesters, may it be regulators, may it be your investors, may it be your service providers or partners, how do you effectively respond to a lot of those requests, right? So those are the pain points that we've seen. Um, historically, this process has been very, very manual, uh, very document heavy, and quite bilateral, even though all of the use cases that we mentioned are pretty much many to many. Um, and that's where I think Diligence Vault has helped with the process. What we have also seen is the, the volume of due diligence has been increasing year over year on a double digit basis. And, and just if you just take this year alone, uh, if you just take the use case of the investors and the fund managers, everyone pretty much went remote starting the second quarter or even late first quarter. Uh, so a lot of collaboration that would happen when you are in the office kind of broke down. Uh, again, as this was a change in working environment, there was a greater amount of diligence that was required so all of a sudden there was a stress in the system in terms of information exchange. And then one of the biggest trend that we've seen um, in the investment diligence space is, and even the distribution diligence space is that there is a significant uh, increase in focus on sustainability on the social aspects of ESG. And that requires a lot more reporting as well um, in terms of diligence information going back and forth. And that has also put in additional stress. Um, so these are the trends that we have seen um, this year, but the fundamental problems across these different use cases are exactly the same. Well, there's lots in that one. Now, let's start with the themes and the current themes that are getting the most attention when firms are doing due diligence. And I think you mentioned there ESG is, is a big one, sustainability. And I guess the other one, if, if you're doing due diligence, is probably around... Um, you know, work from home and how you've deployed your, whatever your BCP is, probably yes. around crypto. Are they the, the kind of the hot topics today when firms are doing due diligence? Absolutely. So I think if you think about the investor and asset manager um, or fund manager interaction, these are absolutely the hot topics. With work from home, BCP is a big area, which was at the beginning of the lockdown. But increasingly, it is cyber risk, given everyone's working remotely, um, given the, the stress that it puts on the operations of the firms, uh, the stress that it puts on the intellectual property of the firms, right, from investment and operations perspective. And also a lot of, lot of focus on employee training, because there isn't, you aren't within the safety of an office, if you will, you're working from home, different networks, different computers, different ports. Uh, so all of those things have kicked in quite a bit. Um, similarly, a different type of, as new products are coming to the market with these different teams, it's the asset manager distributors where um, suitability becomes a big aspect, uh, financial crime becomes a big, big aspect, and then management company and delegate, which is what you just pointed out as well, I think staffing, governance, all of those have also become a big trend. And so for the firm then that's the provider of information, you're in a firm, you've, you've received a request for 
from a, somebody who's doing due diligence on you. Um, what are the so what are the biggest challenges to responding to that? I guess you're you're thinking about well, likely there's not one person that has the answers. It's across the firm. Now they're mm-hmm. in the same office block. They're in all in their own individual homes. So it's a bit more fragmented. And so that's part of it. And then I guess the volume in terms of the amount of information being requested has increased and the level of depth of knowledge and, and information to be provided back has increased as well. Are they kind of the key challenges that firms are facing? Absolutely, yes. And I think, uh, yes, it's it, that it's decentralized and also the approval process, right? If you're in the office, someone can walk by and you guys can discuss it, right? Two people can discuss it and then mm-hmm. uh, come up with a response. Sometimes people don't know, say, if Joe who's sitting in his home and then Jane who's sitting in her home, if they are both crafting the same response. So there could be some duplication of effort. People can override each other's work. I mean, some of the most fundamental things that you think could have been solved years ago uh, still are happening. So it creates a lot of repetition, a lot of duplication, um, and a lot of manual efforts, especially when people are working remotely and anything that helps with collaboration and easing all of those friction points uh, becomes a big deal. So then the respondents can actually focus on the quality of the response and the substance and not the administrative burden um, that is around that, given the nature that of the business that we have transformed into. Yeah, and I guess another challenge is probably document management. You said there about duplication. So it could be John and Jane are both writing the same answer, but John may have written an answer last month and the month before and the month before. So Correct. trying to manage your documents so that you're being efficient and not reinventing the wheel every time uh, must be pretty important too. No, that's absolutely true. And I think one of the biggest things that the respondents do appreciate, the ones that have adopted technology, is, is technology can help ease some of these pain points, right? So it can centralize a lot of this information. It can make it available on a timely basis and you know that the accuracy would be high because technology can also enforce audit trail uh, of all the activities right so that's how uh, technology can ease the administrative burden so people can keep track of the increased volume and of course one of the other aspects uh, where where diligence technology can help is even with the depth itself right if you have a centralized repository and if you have a recommendation engine or ability to auto-populate from historical responses, all of these can help address some of the standard type of questions so that people can focus on the newer uh, questions or questions that require uh, detailed analysis and explanation um, in, in coming out and providing a better set of information to, to the parties requesting it. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not a techie person, but we do work with tech firms, right tech firms, and sure. my, I guess my view of the world is when, when a new requirement comes in or when you're looking at how you perform a task, if your first response is to throw people at it, that's probably not where you want to be because there's usually either an existing tech solution or an existing tech solution that's pretty close and could be adapted for what you need. And that, for, for me, that would usually be the, the first port of call. But I guess if you're not doing this with a tech help, you're, you're doing it manually, you're, you're trying to manage documents and look at spreadsheets and stuff like that. Is that kind of the, how, how firms who aren't using tech solutions would do this? For the most part, yes. I mean, we typically say that our biggest, uh, our biggest uh, competitor, and I'm seeing this uh, jokingly, is Excel and Apathy, right? If, yeah. if people, uh, because it's, it's just, 
people are used to it, it's perceived as a free solution, but there's a huge amount of uh, manual burden, which is the cost that people face. And it's frankly not scalable as the volume goes up. And, and as we are now in a new environment, uh, the manual effort is absolutely not scalable. So as a result, we have seen a distinct pickup and acceleration in, in digitizing the flows and adopting digital solutions and getting ready for the future. Um, yeah. So we are seeing that bifurcated behavior from the industry as well. And would you have a, like a, a figure, a stat or a number that, that would kind of explain the efficiencies of working on due diligence or completing a questionnaire using a tech tool versus doing it manually? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I can I can probably share some stats from both sides. So um, on the on the respondent side, maybe whether it's a delegate or distributor or an asset manager, they typically say that they can double their capacity without adding a headcount, right? Because you 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 leverage tech where you can in in helping automate some of the micro tasks, as well as centralizing information, also helps significantly. So that's one um, on, on the respondents. On the requesters, whether it's be an investor or a management company or the asset manager from the distributors, they have said that they've seen a significant decrease in their administrative burden, which is up to 60 to 70%, depending on how and what form of tech they adopt. So then they can focus their efforts and analysis um, and time on doing the analysis, uh, coming up with risk frameworks, identifying risks that are material and working with uh, the provider of the information to address and mitigate some of these, right? Rather than making it a check the box exercise saying, hey, we've collected the information, but we don't have the bandwidth to analyze that. Uh, so that's something that we've seen. So it increases your capacity because you're spending less time on the administ administrative side and you're spending more time on the qualitative side, actually analyzing what the information is that's been given to you and trying to interpret it and and read between the lines. That's right, correct. Well, we have a role over here, one of the directors of the, of the financial companies is, is required to be an organizational effectiveness role on the lookout for improvements. And I, I, I certainly think that looking at how firms respond to due diligence requests uh, could be one that, that's very much one worth spending a bit of time understanding whether the firm is doing it well or, or could do it better. Uh, so I'm going to make a little note of that uh, for, for OEs when they ask me what they, what they should have in their agendas. But tell me this, where you are the recipient of the information then? So we talked about the firm gathering the information to respond to due, due diligence requests. But the recipient mm -hmm. who's actually receiving all of these hundreds and hundreds of pages of data in, um, what, what is it that, that tech solutions on due diligence do to help them and how do they do it? So I would say that the tech solutions help them in three different distinct ways. One is managing the entire collection workflow. So imagine sending an email out to hundreds of counterparts and then chasing them and figuring out who's answered, who hasn't answered, uh, email bounce backs, some of the most basic things, right? That takes mm -hmm. up a lot of time from people. With technology, you automate all of that. You have full transparency on how people are responding to your diligence requests. Um, and both sides can collaborate on it. So that itself is a big transformational aspect. The second is people are no longer collecting just the documents. With technology, you now have the ability to structure the information as it's coming in, right? So instead of saying, please describe X, Y, and Z policy and process or framework, 
you can ask a question saying, do you have this framework? It could be a binary response, a yes or a no. Or if yes, then please pick what types of frameworks do you have, right? So you can create objectiveness to the extent possible. And of course, there are certain things that would always be subjective. But what this lends itself is that you can now analyze this information readily. You can build a time series and you can benchmark a lot of these things across different respondents. You can build the risk frameworks and flag stuff, right? So it lends itself to a lot more that you can do when it comes instead of when it's coming to you in say PDFs and Excel. And the third thing is once you have a lot of this data, you can also create faster heat maps. You can create reports that you can generate uh, recommendations, all of that pretty seamlessly on the platform. And then everything could be uh, auditable, right? So it's, it's on, even on the recipient side, when people are collaborating, they are not overriding each other's stuff. Um, they can all collaborate and come to an output much faster as well. So both sides can benefit from technology. Yeah, and really what strikes me there is you're, you're speaking with Manel is that I mentioned that the, the regulator issued this Dear CEO letter. <clears throat> they talk about, in that instance, for the management companies doing more due diligence before a firm is mm -hmm. doing it on an ongoing basis, at least annually. And I guess if you're a firm and you have 10 or 50 or 100 delegates, as that number grows, it gets difficult in terms of your resources and timing to do Correct. diligence across 100 delegate investment managers. Um, and I suppose instead of fall apart and say we can't do it or, or have a sh you know, put it on to a cycle that pushes some firms out beyond the year to, to two years or, or whatever, that this may be a way to balance that to be able to get through all of the due diligence across all of the firms in a way that is smart and, and helpful, but doesn't require you to double your headcount just to do this due diligence process. And That's right. And, and we are in an environment where people are really focusing on operational efficiency and ROI. So absolutely. Okay. And tell me this then. So I guess when I think about due diligence, I said at the start that I can see kind of two aspects. There's the, the investor doing due diligence on the fund and the director and probably the fund manco and service providers of the fund. And then there's the manco or the, the regulated firm doing due diligence mm -hmm. on their delegates. Are there, are these two processes, although they're from slightly different perspectives, are they effectively, you know, the principles are the same, the approach is the same. Is there much different between the two, the two worlds? So I would say the, the fundamental process stays the same. The principles do stay the same. What would differ is the type of information collected and what is the impact of that information, right? Is it, is it for governance or is it for investment? Uh, and then what analysis you would do on top of that, right? So I think we always say that diligence happens everywhere in the world. And, and uh, again, we joke that dating is a type of diligence where you exchange information and you make a decision. Uh, so the process and the principles are absolutely the same. Uh, it's, it's the content that changes. And, and to that extent, there are a lot of industry standards that have come up with best practices to also reduce the burden on the industry as a whole as they exchange this information but then people can definitely customize it um, because we don't want the delegates responding to the same question three different times if it's coming from three different audiences, especially in the Manco delegate, it's probably not going to be too many of one-to-manys, uh, but, but the asset managers and the service providers and investors and 
uh, fund managers that could be too many of the one-to-manys, um, as well as the ongoing ones over year over year or period over period. Yeah, sure. Well, listen, if you can if you can pivot digital digital vault so that they can uh, do due diligence and boyfriends and girlfriends and potential spouses, I think you're. <laughs> Well, let me just ask one question to, to wrap up. The other thing we'd mentioned about was distribution and due diligence on distribution networks. It's a, it's a tricky one. Uh, and certainly here, it's part, very much part of the framework for our CP86 and our Mancos, but it's not one that would have received at this stage tons of attention. The attention has been more on risk management, investment management, organization effectiveness. But distribution is out there. It's a tricky one because it can be a very disparate, a very wide chain, a very disparate chain you could be mm-hmm. away from the cold face. And when you, well, if I were a director and I'm thinking about risk and what could go wrong, the way that the people selling the fund interact Correct. with investors, what they tell them, what they promise them, you know, uh, how suitable this product is for that investor. It's all very terribly important that that's gotten right because that's a huge source of risk if, if somebody feels aggrieved or that they were sold something that, they, that, that wasn't as it was presented on the tin. So um, I just wondered, when it comes to due diligence and, and trying to keep your hands around your distribution network, any insights there, any tips for, for what best practice might be? So I think, yeah, so to your point, suitability risk is a big thing that people evaluate. And rather than evaluating every single inter- in transaction that happens between the distributor and the end investor, it's the governance framework that people are focusing on. Is is Does the distributor have the governance framework to make sure that they carry out the suitability, do they test that periodically? And then the other aspect is custody of the assets. Who has the custody of the assets, the distributor, or, or is there a third party custody? Because that would, all of those things would roll up into a risk as to how risky that relationship is, right? If they yeah. have weaker controls and a custody of assets, then the, then the chances of financial crime and the repercussions on the asset manager could be much higher. Uh, so their duty of care and diligence um, and, and for them to go to a fragmented distributor framework, if, especially if it's a global framework, uh, could be very challenging and that's where technology can help and give them that framework to make their own oversight and monitoring process more effective and efficient. Yeah, and I think get to the, get to the heart of the matter. And you said you can't oversee every single interaction and every single transaction. So you are kind of dependent on looking at frameworks and have they got the basics right or the foundations in place to support a business, a distributing business that's going to do the right thing. And you're right in terms of putting the focus there. I think it's one that, as I said, it's, it's part of the framework. It's not got the most amount of attention yet, but as things settle down and other areas here, there's a big amount of attention on resourcing and boots on the ground that, and that settles, I think distribution will be one. So if you are a, you're no manco or you're, you're no e-roll and you're, you're trying to look down the tracks for where where is next. I think distribution is the one that's going to require that. Mamana, that was wonderful. I really appreciate your time. It's given some wonderful insights. I said it's a very topical issue. Uh, and as firms are either expected to do more due diligence or receiving more due diligence requests, how they respond to that, manage what they do, are consistent in their responses, uh, and do it in a way that doesn't mean that the entire business is taken over. Just responding, responding to DDQs, it's got to help. Gotta help. Yep, absolutely. That's 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 what we are counting on. So yes. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, listen. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate your time and your insights. I know it's early in the morning in New York, 
so I'm going to let you go to wrap up the podcast there. Thanks very much, podcast listeners, for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on the Quest Podcast. Thanks. You've been listening to the Aquas Podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.